I'd invite you this morning, if you would, to turn in your Bibles with me uh, to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some Bibles available on the back table that you can use to follow along or simply grab the insert in your bulletin and you can follow along via the insert as well. For those of you who are visiting this morning, uh, again, welcome. I don't know if I introduced myself. I had my name tag on before. My name is Nate Hitchcock. I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors here at Ascension. Uh, Ed Voles, you already saw earlier in the service. Welcome to those of you who are visiting. If you are, just want to give you a heads up that we are in the fifth week of a topical series, a brief topical series that I have entitled The Priorities of a people. Don't worry about missing the first four. That's fine. Uh, it's good that you're here. Uh, for the past four weeks, we've been opening up God's Word from various passages of Scripture. We've been meditating on and being challenged by what the Lord has to say to His people about practicing hospitality, about living in community, about growing in grace, and then last week about cultivating joy in our lives. I know, I speak for myself, I know that I need more of all those things in my life. I suspect we all do. And so while it's been a series that's been a bit out of the ordinary for for us, because I normally simply preach through books of the Bible, I trust it's been good and it's been helpful for our life together as God's people. Well, today I want to focus on just one text of Scripture. We've looked at a lot of Psalms over the years. You know that the Psalms are one of my favorite books of the Bible. And I kind of can't believe that we've never looked at Psalm 67, but we we haven't. We've never gone here. This ancient missionary hymn that was sung by God's people, you can see there uh, by the title that this was one that was given to the choir master that was sung not a cappella, but with stringed instruments. And uh, this was obviously a message that God wanted his people to keep ever before them. I mean, isn't that what songs do? They keep messages ever before us. And so in this continuing series of priorities of a people uh, in coordination with Blake and Graham Purcell being here with us, I want to talk about today uh, the priority of missions, missions. And so if you would uh, stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 67, all seven verses of this great psalm, listen as I read, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And make His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As we walk through the three stanzas of this psalm, a very short psalm, I'd like to do so thinking and meditating upon three truths for us to not only think and meditate on, but be challenged by this morning. And so if you're a note taker, kids, if you're using those bulletin sheets and those uh, sheets that Miss Cindy makes for us each week, here's the first point, the first truth. God blesses us in order to bless others. God blesses us to bless others. We live in our day and age and in our area of the world, we live in an age what some have termed the age of the selfie. And it's not just a a millennial thing, we've all done it. Maybe some of you have selfie sticks. Some of us maybe take a, a few too many selfies. It's not just the taking of selfies, it's what we do with selfies. It's the frequency of posting selfies. I read an article this week that encouraged the so-called demise of the selfie by identifying 10 forms of this recent phenomenon, and I'm not going to read all 10 of them, but the author writes kind of humorously, first of all, there's the I'm bored selfie. She says, whether you're bored in a car, bored in a waiting room at your doctor's office, or bored at home watching TV, please do not feel the need to take a photo of this and post it for all to see. I'm really bored at the doctor's office too, but that's why they have highlights magazines for you to look at. Then there's number two, I'm at an event selfie. Oh, you're at a Justin Timberlake concert. Guess guess what's more exciting for all of your Instagram followers to see than you? How about a photo of Justin? How about a photo of the stage? How about a photo of the crowd? And then there's the we are so in love selfie. She writes, having a private life seems almost obsolete now that we function almost solely on social media. Make an effort to keep some photos to yourself. My parents have been married for 30 years and they somehow managed to survive every day without posting a photo of the two of them on Instagram. And she goes on and on. The selfie, they say, uh, illustrates our increasingly narcissistic and self-centered culture. Now, I'm not knocking selfies. I've taken selfies before. And I don't want to get into all the social analysis of what it is saying about our culture, but I do want to use all of this, all of what I've said, to get us into this psalm and to recognize that that's the focus of verse 1. That's how this psalm seems to begin. May God bless us. May God make his face to shine upon us. I mean, it doesn't get any more me focused than that first line, but there's obviously more going on here. Even in that first verse, you hear echoes of of the priestly benediction found in Numbers chapter 6 that we often, that I often 
that Pastor Ed often pronounces over you as you exit from this place each week. We ask for God's face to be shining towards us. We ask for his face of of relationship, of, of favor, and of care. And of course, the prayer is not just verse one. It's not just may God bless us, but it's verse two. The people of God ask for the Lord's blessing for themselves, yes, but for the benefit of those around them, and ultimately for the glory of the name of Yahweh himself. Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. You see, this psalm starts off with a prayer that is rooted in covenant. It's rooted in God's relationship with his people that he began all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 when he established a relationship with Abraham in Genesis 2-2 and he said, I will make you, Abram, into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So bless us. All you selfie takers is indeed a prayer that we should pray as long as verse 2 is included. But we want to ask ourselves, what exactly is the blessing that we're praying for? God bless us, but, but what is the psalmist asking? What are God's people singing? Well, the psalm doesn't say specifically what the blessing of God is, but we know this, what, whatever the blessing is, it leads to his way being known, to his saving power being made evident. It leads to the life-giving knowledge of their creator and his love for them that the world needs. Now, I do think that the blessing that God's people pray for is in part material. In fact, verse 6, if you look there, it seems to point in that direction. The earth has yielded its increase. You see, this this is a harvest psalm. This is one that acknowledged and gave thanks for the fact that the crops had been brought in, that the storehouses are finally full. A little over a month, we'll all gather with our friends, with our family, and we'll have a feast of food before us, and we'll give thanks to the Lord, and it is good for us to do so. As long as we don't see that the blessings that we enjoy the food on our table, the money in our bank accounts aren't given exclusively for ourselves. God blesses us. We pray for God's blessing upon us in order that we might bless others. And so our money, our possessions, our callings, our children, our spouses, and all our time are given by a good and loving father for the enjoyment of his beloved children. Absolutely. And for the glory of his name through the spreading of his fame. You see, the world needs to see, as they did in Israel's day, as Israel prayed, the world needs to see visual proof in us of the existence of the work and of the heart of God. As the people around us ask and they wonder 
Where is your God? We're supposed to be able to show them. But of course, here's the challenge. We all live in this day and age. We breathe the cultural air, all the same cultural air. The material prosperity that we possess in America and in the Western world can so easily obscure the message of the gospel. And indeed, some preachers to their damnation encourage that misconception and that obscurity. So we need to be watchful. We need to be prayerful as we pray for God's material blessing. And at the end of the day, we need to be generous and giving to the point of sacrifice. God blesses us to bless others. But before we move on for these, from this first stanza, these first couple verses, we must recognize that the blessing that God's people plead for and pray for and sing about in Psalm 67 is not limited to the stuff of earth. Not even primarily is it about the stuff of earth. You see, the blessing that they are praying for, the blessing of this psalm culminates and is fulfilled in salvation, in relationship with the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, in the joy and the peace and the purpose that flow from being reconciled through the gospel and through the work of Jesus. And so Peter tells the church, the New Testament church in 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, while this psalm, Psalm 67, came out of the experience of the nation of Israel and it had specific application to the people of God in their day as they existed amidst all these other national entities with their own idols, with their own gods, with their own idolatry, through Jesus, we, you Gentile, you not born of Jewish race, are now the people of God. And so Peter writes here in 1 Peter 2 to the church composed of Jew and Gentile, all now Abraham's seed. And he says all these national titles that God gave Israel are now yours, church. As the national distinctions are no longer there, Paul told the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. And so brothers and sisters, we take this, this psalm, this prayer, this song, Psalm 67, and we lift it from its ancient context and we say, this, this is ours. We are both the fulfillment of this prayer and we are the ones who carry it forth as the church with the same intent that God blesses us to bless others.
But this psalm doesn't just give us a category of others to be blessed, does it? No, it focuses on a specific people. The nations. And that's the second truth I want us to examine this morning. Not just that God blesses us to bless others, but God's vision for the church includes all nations. God's vision for the church includes all nations. I've read some of these statistics to you before. They're from Mark Knowles. He's an evangelical historian. They're from his great book, The New Shape of World Christianity. Let me read these. Today, it is possible that more Christian believers attended church in China than in all of so-called Christian Europe. Today, more Anglicans attended church in each of Kenya, South Africa, Tanzania, and Uganda than did Anglicans in Britain and Canada and Episcopalians in the United States combined. Today, there are more Presbyterians in Ghana than there are in Scotland. And more were in congregations of the United Presbyterians uniting Presbyterian Church of Southern Africa than in the United States. Here's a crazy one. Today, more people will attend the Yodoi Full Gospel Church in Seoul, South Korea than attended all the churches in significant American denominations like the Christian Reformed Church, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and the Presbyterian Church in America. Six to eight times as many people attended this one church in Seoul, South Korea, than worshiped in Canada's 10 largest churches combined. Amazing and wonderful. And then there was our experience of of Presbytery, which I spoke about a little bit already. We are meeting at Hope Fellowship, a congregation composed mostly, almost primarily of native peoples on the land of the Yakima Nation. At Presbytery, we received a candidate from ministry, a brother from India who was raised in Hinduism, who was converted to Christ, who married a Korean woman and now is headed into gospel ministry. We heard, as many of you did this morning, from Blake and Graham, from the Purcells, about the need of the church in the former Soviet Union. We heard from Daniel Robbins, who is an associate pastor in Bellingham, about his plan to go to Africa to strengthen theological education there. All of these statistics, all of of our experience at Presbytery, this is how it is supposed to be. God's vision for the church includes the nations. And we see it so clearly here in Psalm 67. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Even with this this strong national identity that God's people had, that the nation of Israel had from the very beginning, Even amidst that, they were not supposed to be simply a holy nation, as Exodus 19 declares them to be, 
but also a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. You are a kingdom of priests, a people who would point to Yahweh, to God's saving power, who would display through all of God's law being upon them the joy of being under God's rule. So the prophet Isaiah extols the the restoration of Israel through the coming of the servant of the Lord, those passages that we hear and recite and we sang about this morning. He was wounded by his stripes, we are healed. Chapters 40 through 55, they, they talk all about Israel and the restoration of Israel. And then in chapter 55 of Isaiah, the Lord says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants... Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Am I making my point? The house of God is to be filled and eventually will be filled with all nations. John Piper has written a great book, probably quoted it before, on missions. And it begins this way. The whole book, it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. The whole book begins with this paragraph. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship does not Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. And so the takeaway for us, Church of Jesus... The takeaway for us this morning is to be about, in some way, fulfilling God's vision and God's mission for the church, making disciples, making worshipers of all the nations. And you see, I don't think this is natural for us. It's not natural for Americans. See, we have this tendency in America sometimes, in my opinion, to be overly patriotic. And that patriotism sometimes can cause us to to have tunnel vision and to overly equate what God is doing here and our nation to his kingdom and what his vision is for the church. Now, hear me out. I am patriotic. I love this country. My dad served for over 20 years in the country's military. I'm a military kid. We have military service members here this morning. I'm thankful that I was born in this country. I'm thankful for the freedoms. I'm thankful for the opportunities. I'm thankful for the blessings that this country gives me as a follower of Jesus. But at the end of the day, American people are no more loved than our brothers and sisters in Malawi. And this young country, as prosperous as we are, is just a dot on this vast line of human history. 
And so we ought not think too highly of ourselves, but we ought to think highly of the nations. Let me give you a couple just practical ways we can do this. How do we do this? How do we walk in God's vision and mission? Well, first of all, we just, it's just a mindset. It's just a mindset. We need a wider angle lens than many of us have. And I know for some of you, I'm preaching to the choir because you have a wide angle lens of what God is doing in the world. One of the reasons I like having men like Blake and Graham with us is to broaden our vision of what the kingdom of God is and what God is doing and what it, what, what it needs to be. And so first of all, it's just a mindset. But secondly, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to be sending. We've got to be praying. And some of us need to be going. Remember John's commendation of, of Gaius in 3 John 5 through 8. We studied those letters long ago one summer. John writes this to his friend, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. William Carey, a name that many of you might know if you know anything about Christian missions and the history of Christian missions. William Carey was an impoverished English shoemaker in the late 18th century who is now designated by mo many, by most, as the father of modern missions. William was converted as a teenager, he became a pastor in England, and he became convinced in his studies that foreign missions was the central responsibility of the church. Because believe it or not, in 18th century England, there was this notion that the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, was given to the apostles and, and to the apostles alone. So we just need to do our thing where we are. And William said, no. He became convinced otherwise, and, and so he stands in church history as this major figure who both spent the majority of his life serving the Lord in India from 1793 to 1834 when he died. But before he went, he cast this vision to the church, and it was a new concept to the church at that point. He described the need, and we've talked about this before, the need for rope holders, for rope holders, he said, figuratively speaking, as he repelled into the gold mine that was India. This nation rich in opportunity for the gospel. As he repelled into this gold mine of India, he needed those who were outside of the hole, holding the rope, supporting him as he went. And that's what John commends Gaius for doing here. That's what we are called to do as well. Not everyone's called to teach. Not everyone's called to preach. Not everyone's called to go and eat weird insects in a foreign land. You could do that at Safeco Field. But we all must be rope holders. 
But let me not let you off the hook. Some of you need to go. If not go permanently, go temporarily. I am so thankful that I have personally seen the church firsthand in the interior of Jamaica, on the coast of Mexico, in the heart of Uganda, in the heart of the Yakima Nation. These are good experiences that have broadened my vision of what God is doing in the world. So some of us need to go. God's vision for the church includes the nations. Well, one final stanza is left, and we need to wrap it up. One final truth, and that is God's kingdom will come. God's kingdom will, capital W, capital I, capital L, capital L, will come. You say, I want to end with this reminder. This is not some pie-in-the-sky dream that we hope will come. This vision, God's vision of all the nations coming to himself, it's just a matter of time. Verses 6 and 7, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Based upon who they know God to be, what they have seen God do, the song ends with the confident assertion that God will bless, that his purposes will be fulfilled. And therefore, we can have confidence. Jesus' words in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. John 10, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to me. And then words about Jesus in Revelation 5, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And I camp out here for just a moment because as one author put it, we need to have in the church, we need to have more vision and less sight. More vision and less sight. And what I mean by that, it's kind of how I started the sermon last week for those of you who are there, just the heaviness, the weightiness, the brokenness of our world. But see, there's a difference between vision and sight because sight with our eyes, we look around and we see division we see territorialism, we see segregation, we see terrorism, we see evil, we see Christian values being threatened around every turn and the gospel under attack. And we throw our hands up or we crawl in a hole. Rather than having vision and looking beyond what we see to what we know. To what we know. Because what we see isn't the end of the story. With the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel that set the Roman Empire on fire through 12 men who subsequently snowballed into Europe, who subsequently snowballed into all of the world. And now we have those statistics of what's going on around our globe. That gives us confidence and vision for what is to come.
So brothers and sisters, pray this prayer. Pray this prayer for blessing, that God may lead you, that God may lead us in the confident path of blessing the nations with whatever blessing we've received for the glory of his name, by the power of his spirit. He will do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these truths which, oh, our hearts need so badly. To be reminded of your hearts and of your vision, of your call. We ask, Spirit of God, that you would give us wisdom, give us grace to be obedient and to pray this prayer and to live this prayer for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.